Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. You ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't black don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 to 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35,000 of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't communicate with your own people because you don't have a, you don't have an economic base. Fifty-one percent of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up twelve percent of the population, that's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march or demonstration. We're going to march. March? What? Who cares? Marches they never changed anything. Say some shit to y'all that uh, I seen yesterday that made me f- smile, but it hurt me to my heart. There's a house next door to me that's been abandoned, and uh, the yard, the grass, high as hell, and everything. There's a couple of abandoned cars out there beside the house. Well, yesterday I get off work about seven o'clock. A Mexican guy pulled up. He said, "These your cars?" I said, "No." He said, "I just bought this house, man." I said, "All right, that's what's up." He was like. You know whose cars these is? He said, no. He said, well, I bought the house, not the cars. Okay, I'm like, cool. I'm thinking he's just coming to look at the house. I go back in the house, do a little straighten up. I swear to God, I walk back at the house. Now, I'm getting off about 7.20. It's fucking 
Mexican trucks just pull up. They got fucking beer, lights, and shit, right? So I'm like, what y'all finna do? He said, we finna fix this house. I said, what kind of crew you got working after 7 o'clock? He said, these my friends. The fucking house is fixed this morning. They went in there and drywalled that fucking house. Wow. I just left out of there. It was a fucking abandoned house. That bitch looked new this morning. Whoo. It was an abandoned fucking house. And it looked new this morning. It's an old African proverb. Many hands make light work. I just don't think they're better than us. I just think we won't do nothing together. Wow. You're not hearing what the fuck I'm saying. It was an abandoned house yesterday at 7 fucking 15. That bitch is new this morning. He bought a tax lien house. I can't wait to see what they do. I can't wait to see is one family gonna live in there. Is they gonna? I'm, I'm gonna get to know the motherfuckers. You best believe me when I make some money, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna bring us together, and I'm not fucking with a lot of people.
See, God gives everybody a gift. He never creates a soul without giving them a gift. You all are gifted. You don't have to be comedy. It don't have to be music. But you're gifted. You've all been given something. Some of you all, your friends come to you with their problems. That's a gift. Some of you know how to network. That's a gift. Some of you all connected dots at your church. Some of you all have organizational skills. Some of you all are better bakers than the other ones. Some of y'all are great florists. Some of you have argumentative skills. Should go be a lawyer. Something like that. Everybody got a gift. Some, some people is bald. Some people is that. Everybody got one. I don't care if you see a blind person. They can do something. You see a person with a handicap. They can do something. You can do something. Problem is, though, you've got to attach yourself to the gift. Now, how do you find out what that is? The day that you can get real with yourself and say, hey, look here, what is my gift? This is how you discover that. It is the thing that you do the absolute best with the least amount of effort. That's your gift. You ain't got the trip. You ain't got to ask nobody what you think it is. You can have this conversation with you. It is the thing that you do the absolute best with the least amount of effort. Them people over there that sing, they don't struggle to sing. It just come out. Michael Jordan don't struggle to play ball. He just play it. You understand? When you have a gift, it's what you do. You talk, that could be your gift. You write, that's your gift. You're a great listener, problem solver. You've got the gift of matching up. That's all a gift. Hear what messes people up, though. You see something that somebody else does, and then you want to go do that. So now you're not concerned with your gift. Now you want to pursue a passion. You got a lot of problems happening in your life if you start chasing passion. So I'm in a passion-chasing business. I used to go to restaurants in L.A., and every time I sit there, here comes some little fine girl. Every time I sit down, Mr. Harvey, can you look at my head shot and everything? And I say, for what? What you do? I'm an actress. I say, so, so what you acting in? I'm, 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 not, I'm not in anything yet. I'm just, but I want to be. I said, no. What are you acting in? See, if you're an actress, then you act. You a waitress. <laughs> Actors have acting gigs. Piano players play piano. Singers sing. So you ain't got to figure it out. If you ain't doing it, it's because you ain't it. But if you are going to pursue a path, I was passionate one time in my life about playing ball. I wanted to play in the NBA. Well, here's the problem. When I ran full speed with the basketball, I ain't have it no more. So now this, this passion about playing in the league, that's out the question now. I had to find out what my gift was. And when I really ran, ran back over my life, I was funny. I could take comedy and transpose it instantly. I, could, I wasn't afraid to come in front of people. That was my gift. When you start to pursue your gift, that leads you to what you should be about. And if you can become passionate about your gift, here where it gets, there's a Bible verse. Uh, it's a proverb. I had them. Okay.
The first line says, a gift opens the way. If you figure that out, it opens the way. You can read all the rest of that if you want to, but your gift opens the way. That's the part I saw. Ooh. Then the gift opened the way. I got this lifestyle I got now because my gift opened the way, not my passion. I ain't made a dollar playing basketball. I'm passionate about golf. I shoot a 90 every time I play. You can't make a dollar playing golf. But my gift, though, has made a way. Why won't you find out from God why you were born by getting your gift and pursuing it? All right, today's It's My House is titled, What is Your Gift? Live stream number 619-768-2945. Overall, I, I, you know, I like the motivation of that Steve Harvey piece, but um, I, from my personal experience, sometimes you've got to discovering a gift or a talent might come out of something that you weren't even good at at first. At first. Um, matter of fact, before we go to our guest today, Jean Burke, because uh, she's going to give us some information today on test taking, which I believe fundamentally you can apply to anything in life. Um, when I was in sixth grade, um, I had scored, I guess, <clears throat> the lowest score, and uh, obviously I must have done it more than once, on a science test. Uh, this is, you know, first semester, <clears throat> sixth grade. So I was in boarding school at the time, and our instructor, Captain Bass, oh, man, he he basically ripped, I mean, ripped, tore me down, and then there was a little, little <clears throat> scrawny guy named McGill. Now, I was the tallest in the class. Sixth grade, I was like six. I'm six eight now, but I, then I was maybe six one, something like that. Six one, six two, six foot. So the tallest one in the class, and a little skinny guy, McGilvery, who was not a good student overall. Period. Because uh, I went to school with him for three years. Uh, he just put the icing on the cake. And I just broke down and cried in class, science class. Now, <clears throat> I don't know what happened after that, but from the next test on, for the rest of that semester, going into the balance of the school year in the second semester in sixth grade, all of seventh grade, all of eighth grade, I always got the highest grade in science. And I draw on that 
because there's a couple other things where I was, it looked like I was the worst one. I had no talent for a particular thing I was involved with. But I would, um, so I can, you know, you know what I did in sixth grade? I started hanging around. guys that were smarter than me in science. I might have scored and I learned some fundamentals from them. Although I ended up scoring the highest. But basically I went I started hanging around with guys smarter than me in science and math. And then that just translated to getting the highest math scores. I'm mean, not math scores. Science scores um um you know, for the rest of that year, you know, seven years. And I'll try to apply that to other things I do a lot. So today we have Jean Burke. She's going to talk about test taking and homeschooling. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of homeschooling. We've had her on here at least once, if not twice before. Uh, so we're going to open up uh, Jean Burke's mic. And um, good morning, Jean. Hey, good morning, Eli. How are you? Fine, fine, fine. First, for the people that are not familiar with you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, thank you. Um, I, um, I I was a homeschooling mom. My kids are now older. My daughter is through grad school, and and uh, and my son's through law school. Uh, and uh, but years ago, I homeschooled my kids, and I uh, just was like a lot of people. We were one income because my husband worked and I stayed home with the kids, and we had literally no money for college. And, excuse me, we wanted the kids to go to school, but literally there was just no finances, and we definitely didn't want to use our equity or retirement or savings or any of that. And I had a friend of mine mention to me that there was free college based on a, simply a test score, and I was kind of blown away by that because I thought, really? just a test score? And I said, okay, wow. So at the time, my son was in ninth grade, and we just started going through the test. We took an SAT, and, you know, we didn't have $5,000 to spend on one of those very expensive programs that are out there that may or may not work. And so we started going through the test, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And short story long, um, he became a National Merit Scholar, and we ended up throwing away seven trash bags full of college offers, uh, which included full ride, free tuition, room and board, grad school, and so forth. And so then after my oh, daughter well, received scholarships. Is, these were all academic scholarships? Yes. These were all merit-based. These Man. are people, these are colleges all across the nation um, that found out his score and said, wow, what can we do to get you to come here? And so these letters would keep coming in my mailbox every day for about a year. And I, we did, my son just kind of threw them in a pile, and they just kind of, you know, stacked up over a year. Uh, and I didn't know I was going to have a program later on, or I would have saved a lot of those. I saved a couple letters just because I thought they were kind of cool. Um, but I, did, I would have saved a lot more things. Um, and um, I, I didn't know, you know, L.A., the crazy thing back is I was just looking to get scholarship money. I wasn't looking to have a program. Uh, and I had no idea that colleges received their ranking, national rankings, based on a test score so that means the higher the score the more money they want to give you because you basically make them look good so they'll just kind of roll out that red carpet and pretty much offer you anything that you want just because you have a high test score 
Um, and so then my daughter got scholarship money, and then my friends were calling me on the phone wanting to know how we got free college. And that's kind of why I ended up writing a book and starting a program about 14 years ago. Okay. Uh, tell us about the um, the book. Well, the book College Prep Genius uh, is a book that shows you how to beat the test. Now, for your listeners out there, you know, many are homeschooled, some at public school, some at private school. This applies to everyone because if you if you're going to go to college, uh, you know, you've got to basically take that test to get into school and, of course, get scholarship money. And so my book, what I did was I, I broke down, and, and now I have an e-course, and we also do live boot camps as well. But it goes through the uh, how to beat the test, why most kids vomit, because the questions are purposely misleading, and the wrong answers can be very appealing because they're very tricky. And so most students, even smart kids, even valedictorians, do terrible in many cases. Um, and so it shows you how to answer the questions in 30 seconds or less. Because it's, it's, it's a standardized test, which means it uses the same patterns, same concepts, same ideas every test. And you don't study for the SAT, but you study the test itself, how they write the questions, and how they write the answers. Okay. Uh, let, let's go uh, homeschooling. Let, let's go how, what, I mean, the information that you give us can apply to anybody at any age. And, and the way I'm looking at it, the fundamentals of what you teach can apply to a whole lot of things in life. But let, let's go, let, let's say for people who have children or grandchildren, how young, well, let me break it down this way in terms of sports. There's a lot of people that they're looking at maybe they might be in eighth grade, ninth grade, and they want to get some kind of athletic scholarship <clears throat> to college playing whatever sport. Now, let's let's take let's move this over to academics. They're going to, like you said, you guys threw away seven trash bags full of offers. Okay. That's that you know what, that that's beyond all America. So how young do you suggest, particularly for people who have children or grandchildren in school, how early, you know, grade-wise or age-wise do you think, I mean, should they start preparing or learning, learning how to take tests? Well, that's a good question because, you know, we teach the whole gamut. Um, but I will tell you, if you have younger students, students as in like sixth and seventh grade, start them now. And here's why. You can never get time back. And when we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of scholarship offers, it is worth it for your younger students to learn how to take these tests. These are beatable tests, graders who score higher than seniors on their SATs, and they haven't even been to high school yet. And so, now, this doesn't mean if you have an older student, junior, senior, that they can't do well because they absolutely can. But here's the thing. Test maturity comes the more you the more you practice. It's like anything else. If you start playing football in sixth grade, or if you start playing football in tenth grade, I mean, who's going to be better? Uh, same thing with test taking. There, there's no instant success. You know, you cannot shortcut the shortcuts. And so, if if your younger students will just start learning how to look at these tests, because these are not normal tests, 
they're, they're written in a way, you know, to test your thinking skills. Um, but if you start early, um, you can, it can change your life. Your decision can go from, uh, you know, not how to pay for college, but where do you go? I mean, your decision should be the institution and not the finances. And so it makes only logical sense. If you, if you tell someone, you know, you could get three, four, five hundred thousand dollars worth of scholarships in the next three or four years, if you put this time in, would you do it? And most people, if they were given that opportunity, would go, yes. But unfortunately, here's, here's the sad thing, because we do teach in a lot of public and private schools. Most counselors, and they, and they have a tough job, most counselors are overwhelmed, and they have so much on their plate, and their day is generally spent, you know, just changing schedules and dealing with discipline problems sometimes. And so they don't have a time, nor do they even have the understanding that you should start early. And so they will tell the kids, to wait until the end of their junior year to start thinking about, you know, preparing for these tests. And the problem with that is that there, you know, like I said, you, there's no instant success. And these juniors are maxed out with school, homework, part-time jobs, sports, friends, clubs, church, and they don't have time. And what happens is, so they barely get a score that might not probably not even get them in there to their dream college but they'll get into just barely get into college and then they're strapped with 20 years of college loans or 20 years of debt, two decades of their lives spent paying off college for something they did four years. So this is an endless cycle that I see over and over and over again. I'm, I'm, I want to break the cycle. I want families um, to have, you know, to be able to have their children go to the college of their choice and become that lawyer or that doctor or that teacher or that engineer and, and just walk out debt-free from, you know, on that graduation day. Okay. Now, could you share with us some of the um, fundamentals of test-taking? Sure. Absolutely. So, and, and here's what's cool, Ellie, I, and, I, and I think you said this a little bit earlier, about your test-taking experience. Once a student learns how to take a test, most standardized tests, are all written very similar. So you could take this information and not just use it on an SAT or an ACT or a PSAT, but you can use it on later tests, like uh, if you want to go to grad school, the GRE, or if you want to be a lawyer, you know, the LSAT. You know, my son ended up getting a free ride to numerous law schools across this nation. My daughter earned pre-grad um, school uh, because of learning how to take a test. And, and, and let, me, let me back it up, too, and tell you before I talk about the mechanics of the test. Here's why colleges use tests like an SAT or ACT and now the new CLT. And that is because a 4.0 at one high school is not the same at another. Every high school weighs and calculates their scores differently. Mm -hmm. The only fair way, yeah, the only fair way a college can compare all students equally whether they're homeschooled, public school, private school, whether they live in California, Texas, Florida, is a test like an SAT because it levels the playing field. And it only makes sense. I mean, what we learn here in Texas is not necessarily what you learn in California or what someone learns in Washington. And so you have to have a fair way, and that's why they test your critical thinking skills. Um, and so it's a, you know, it's a great equalizer. So the, let me give you the SAT, for example. The reading section, you've got six passages, 52 questions, and 65 minutes to do it in. So that is little over a minute per question, plus six passages, plus transcribing your answers to the bubbled in sheet. 
There, there's no way. Logistically, there is no way you could do it if you do it the normal way. But here's the good news when it comes to reading. 75% of that passage can be completely skipped. There are five types of questions. They're out of order on purpose, and students can learn to put them in the right order and answer the questions, like I said, in 30 seconds or less. Um, the math section, mm -hmm. there, you know, most students, even smart math students who love math, get very low scores because they're used to working it out the long way, showing all their work. But the cool thing is every math question can be answered very quickly, even without a calculator. And so instead of working and showing, you know, every step of the test, there is a shortcut to every question. Um, the writing section, students are given four passages, uh, 44 questions, and 35 minutes to do it in. So if, you know, doing your math in your head, that's 47 seconds of questions, plus the four passages, plus transcribing your answers. Um, but there is, they use a pattern um, on this section that occurs as much as 75% of the time, which means you can answer them in about 10 seconds. And they only use 13 recurring grammar problems. So you don't have to go back and restudy your grammar rules. All you have to know is which 13 problems are they going to use every time. Because it's a standardized test, which means they're going to use the same uh, profiles and same rules on every test. And then the essay, there's an optional essay, um, which I, there are five reasons to always write the essay, um, but I've got 30 proven templates that, that students can just follow the template and, and write a high-scoring essay. Hmm. Okay. Well, now, you have also people that are, they graduated from high school, maybe many graduated from college. And they're going back to school for an additional degree, um, or something, or some professional degree. Uh, how? I mean, how could you help them? Well, absolutely. We have, you know, we have kids who've graduated high school, been out a few years, and still got full rides to college. We have people who want, uh, who you know, are want to go back and get like their GR. I mean, their uh, master's. Uh, maybe they want to go be a lawyer, a, a doctor. You know, it, ultimately it comes down to your test scores. You know, when a when you're an incoming freshman to that particular program or incoming student, uh, it's going to elevate their national rankings because your test scores are going to bring them up higher. Um, so they're willing to mm -hmm. roll, you know, like I said, roll out that red carpet and give you lots of money. And see, also – Colleges are very into diversity and being a well, having not only well-rounded students, they want what's called well-rounded classrooms. And what I tell families is, listen, you can get lots of money by, by somehow making that school very diverse. In other words, if you live on the East Coast, then apply for schools on the West Coast. You know, colleges would like to have someone from every state. You know, if you are a Protestant, Look at Catholic schools. Um, you know, it's you know if if you're uh, you know uh, there's an all girls school that do allow young men. You, you know, um, then you know apply for that. I, the thing is, is you know homeschoolers. I mean, they really diversify because there's not a lot of homeschoolers. You know, they're a minority, and so when you apply as a homeschooler, you know, the colleges really covet you, um, because you make this well-rounded classroom. So there's so many things that you can do as, as an adult going back to school. What are you doing? Again, you're making 
the classroom well, well-rounded. And they love that. And it makes the school look good, so they have no problem with giving you lots of scholarship money. Okay. Well, let me ask you this now. I, I'm going to – this is uh, from an experience in law school, uh, but it might in, in, in reality apply to other type of tests uh, as well. I've taken law school quizzes where – you have four answers. It's multiple choice tests. And all four answers appear to be correct. Or they mm-hmm. might be correct. All four, but you can only pick one. So typically, I think whoever makes up these tests is statistic. But it comes <laughs> down to is they tell you select which is the best out of the Four correct answers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't say correct answers, but you know, any right, any suggestions? Right. Absolutely. Okay, so this is the first thing that you have to know. Any standardized test, for example, like an LSAT or an MCAT or a GRE or, or even a work. You know, we get people who come to us and say, "Hey, I used your program on the civil service test and it worked. I used your program on the Hobby Lobby test and it worked." Uh, the FBI test, uh, the professional performance security test. Um, the reason why people take our program and use the information, not that it's a civil service test program because it's not, but they take the general test-taking skills and they apply them. So when you are taking a standardized test, it has to be standardized. Otherwise, it would be random, and that, w- that, that would not be fair for everybody. So when you have a, like an LSAT, it's standardized, which means it's objective, not subjective. And that means there's only one right answer, even though it, the question might say, pick the best answer. They're not, that, it, it's, they give you very subjective, leading and subjective information like that. It's not subjective. It is objective. They want to make you think it's subjective. But there is only one right answer even though you might think there's, mm-hmm. mo- there's more than one. That's, a, that's, a, that's something no. I hear all the time. Mrs. Burke, I think there's more than one answer. No, 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 no. There is one right answer, and there's three or four distractors. And the key to beating the test uh, is to do the opposite of what you've been taught in school. When we go to school and the teacher gives us a test, we read the question and we look for the right answer. That is not what you right. do on a standardized test. You read the question and you eliminate the trick answers first. And when you're eliminating the trick answers, because what happens is if you don't do that, you will end up overthinking the question or second guessing yourself. And so what you have to do when you look at a question, whether it's, whether it's the LSAT or the SAT or the ACT or whatever, you have to look at that question and say, okay, what do I not like about this answer? You know, you've got to challenge every answer choice. Be very ruthless in marking off answers because sometimes it's one little word that changes the entire meaning. And so uh, in, in the, in the, on the SAT and the ACT and most tests, they, they use what I call COAT, C-O-A-T. It's an acronym that I teach, I teach uh, in my program. Uh, it, it's, one of, it's one of their tricks, and it's called COAT, C-O-A-T, and that stands for the four main tricks companies use. C, completely irrelevant information. That means 
that they might give you an answer that's relevant for another part of the passage, but has nothing to do with that question. Oh, obscure. Mm. They give you an answer that's kind of confusing, has some kind of, you know, crazy, uh, confusing relationship. A, additional. This means the answer might add some extra stuff that wasn't in the, uh, the original information. And then T, totally contradictory. In other words, they'll give you an answer that's opposite of what they're asking you for. So when you're reading mm-hmm. a question, you, you're, looking, you're looking for the wrong answers. Okay, this one here, okay, A is completely irrelevant. Okay, B adds additional information. C, totally contradictory. E, D, okay, it basically is a general, gives me a general idea of what they're asking for. Not a direct quote, but more of a general idea. So that is the key. Because there is only one right answer. If uh, here's the thing, LA, if there was more than one right answer, and they, and they want to make you think that, but but it's object it's subjective. If there's more than one answer, then it, then every answer could be right, and then you then basically mm. everybody would get it right. So they even though it might say that which is the best version or which is the best answer, there's really only one right answer. Okay. What about, before we go to our phone lines, what about, now I've run into some people that they, you know, like some people practice tennis or swimming or basketball. I've run into some people, they practice test taking. Your, uh, your, your insight on that. Well, if you're just taking practice tests and doing them over and over and over, over again, you're going to keep making the same mistakes. You can't, because again, like I said, the, the patterns recur in every test. You're going to end up doing the same thing every time. You'll probably get about the same score. You have to learn how to take the test first and then study the test and then apply those strategies, you know, internalize them and solidify the information so that you can apply them appropriately. Yes, I'm definitely a big believer in practicing. You've got to practice what you've learned. But people make several mistakes. One, they don't learn the, the test themselves, and they use the wrong practice material. Uh, you can go to the store, Barnes & Noble, or any bookstore, or go online, and there are numerous, numerous test prep books, and some of them are big True. name brand companies. You never buy those, ever. Only buy, or in, in many cases, you can get them for free. Um, you only buy the tests that are created by the test makers themselves. So, for example, the, the SAT, you would only want to use college board materials because those questions are the same that you'll see at the real test. You're going to practice the same way you would, would do it as if you were actually, you know, taking the real test. What happens is a lot of these companies, what they'll do, and you can go buy their books or buy their programs and all that, is they make their questions purposely hard so that when students will go through their book or go through their several thousand dollar program or whatever they do, um, they give them a very diagnostic hard test in the beginning, and then they go through their program, and in the end they'll give them a very, very easy test. So it might show that they've gone up two or 300 points on the SAT when in reality they haven't. So people often think that they've, they've, they've got their money's worth. If you, you know, and this is what we do with our students. We say, look, you take a college board test first before my program. Then once you go through the program, you retake the exact same test again. And most of my, my kids go up about 250 points on an average the first time through. Some have gone as much as 600 points. But 
that really does motivate them because they know they only heard it one time um, and they only remember a small percentage. So they go back through it again. They might go up another hundred. They go back through it again, maybe go up another hundred. So yes, practice is important, but you've got to practice with the correct materials, and you've got to you've got to know what you're doing before you just go out there and just you know you wouldn't go out there and keep hitting the golf ball, and you keep hitting it the same way before you've gotten some lessons on actually how to do it. Um, and, and by the way, the College Board doesn't give me any money for endorsing their products. You know, I do that because I want kids to be successful, and I want them to go, you know, only use you know the right stuff to get it to get it right. Okay. Now, just briefly before we go to the phones, but what lines back to something you said at the beginning of the podcast, that, uh, what, your son and somebody in your family threw away seven trash bags of office. Yes. Yes. Now, now I'm, just, I'm just trying to get a visual on this. <laughs> I know in, in, when I was uh, deciphering college, uh, college, I mean, letters that I got in my senior year, I had a it wasn't a trash bag, but it was, I had a little see-through cl- uh, plastic bag. Uh, it wasn't small. It wasn't large. It had probably 100, over 100 letters. But awesome. How, how, many, how many letters per trash bag, bag do you think you guys have per trash bag? Wow. You know, I, I don't know because, you know, back then I didn't know I was going to end up writing a program because people, you know, once you get free college, mm-hmm. everybody wants to know how you do it. But what happened was when my son took his PSAT, and that's that uh, PSAT is from the college board. It's a, it counts in the junior year. Um, there's a box mm-hmm. that you can check called the SSS, Student Selection Service Box. And if you check that box, there are over 2,000 colleges that have paid to be on that list. And what they do is they look at all the PSAT scores. And when my son scored very, very high, these colleges all jumped on it like a vulture. And they started inundating our mailbox every day. They would send us brochures. They would send us letters. They would keep on sending this all the time. And what happened was many of them would keep upping the ante. So they might send him, a, I'll give you an example, uh, Texas A&M. Uh, sent uh, Josh a letter, said, hey, Josh, great, you're a National Merit Scholar. We want to give you a full ride to our college. Well, my son, he didn't really want to go to a school that had 45,000 people. He was just looking to go to a more small, private Christian school. But so he kind of ignored the letter. Then they sent us another letter. Josh, if you will come here, we will give you our brand new honors dorms, which are like hotels, on top of a full ride. So Josh ignored that letter. Mm-hmm. They sent us another letter and said, Josh, on top of all that, we'll also throw in free grad school. So this is the kind of thing that happened. So in, in many cases, it was, you know, there were 2,000 colleges that saw his score that wanted him to come to their school. I, I mean, I'm sorry, many of them wanted him to come to that school. But, um, but it was a lot, and in, in a lot of cases, it was some of the similar co- same colleges kept sending him more and more stuff. Just what can I do to get you to go here? You know, what, what do I need to do for you to come to my school? Now, what about um, the possibility of uh, universities outside of the United States? I mean, does this apply? Was he getting offers from what university, uh, university of Puerto Rico, something like that? Uh, I don't remember anything from international because you know we in America are unique because we do have the SATs and ACTs. 
Um, so I think most other countries probably have their own kind of system, their own entrance. And we never pursued that as if, you know, like mm-hmm. he wanted to go to Oxford or something. We never looked into that at all because that was never on our thoughts, you know, our radar at all. Um, so and it, it isn't that that isn't a possibility because if you have a high school here, you would probably score very high on some kind of standardized test that they probably have for their own school. So you'd probably have to take something on their own. But on the flip side of that, we have lots of people in other countries who want to come to America. You know, we have 17 of the top 20 colleges right here in our own country. And so, you know, I've taught in mainland China, Hong Kong, Thailand, and India, um, because those kids want, you know, they want to come over here to go to our school. And so the obstacle for them to go, of course, is they have to take a test like the SAT. So I've been blessed to go over there. And I'd love to go to more countries. I, I have other invites as well. But, you know, I'd love to go to other countries and teach them how to beat this test. But um, so I do know for, you know, SATs are specific for here in America. But, you know, you got to think of it other ways of the fact that, probably most colleges, they have to have some way for their students to go to the school. You can't just walk up to the door right. and knock on the door and say, hey, I want to go here. They have to have something other for you to be able to get in. So in many cases, it's probably some kind of similar test. Okay. All right. Well, there are quite a few people that uh, do study, and I mean, want to study and eventually do study here in the United States, and you got the United States just geographically as, as a massive landmass. Let's go to our phone lines here. Area code 314, your mic is open. You know, interesting conversation. But, you know, one also must mention that uh, you have some schools like Stanford, uh, UCLA, Berkeley, Harvard, and Yale. If uh, practically every one of the applicants is scoring above a 32, and they tell you that uh, uh, high test scores don't mean anything to them, it always resorts to uh, yet another criteria. And uh, my uh, uh, my grandson, his his he, he attended school down south. And he was, he was taking engineering, and he had a high ACT score, but he still had to pay, take a test or a test during orientation, uh, a math test, which he scored, you know, in the 90s on that. But the thing that people seemingly forget is that, uh, yeah, that first year you can come in on those accolades that you had, especially coming out of high school, but if you don't carry that GPA, uh, during that first year, all that money and stuff stopped during the second year, and you find kids left out there. And I think what it is is that uh, it's the rigors of college that they aren't used to, and uh, that kind of it kind of shocks them. And then they all of a sudden, if they're not used to making A's on every test, and they find themselves making C's, and they become distraught, and many uh, tend to drop out of the hard subjects and resort to something, you know, a little bit more easy, which is really the wrong way to do. They have to stay in there and keep fighting. But no, that, uh, and you know, you see a lot of these historical black colleges where uh, you only have five that has a graduation rate above 50% in six years. Now I'm not saying it's because of the students, 
I'm saying they weren't properly prepared in all many of the different areas that require for one to be successful once they hit higher education. So I just want to put that out there. Well, college, I mean, from my point of view, when I was in there, um, I guess anybody was in there, that first semester, particularly when uh, people that are coming from, you know, their home, uh, and they they have their first bit of independence, uh, most can handle it, but you do have some that, um, you know, they find themselves going out on the weekends, and before you know it, midterms come up and they flunk out or they just get into social relationships that are in over their heads. So there is an attrition rate. And then some people just, you know what, college isn't me. You know, I'm going to go in the military or become a carpenter. I think that's what some of that, a lot of that is. Jane, your, your comment on that? Oh, absolutely. And, and the gentleman has some great information and he's absolutely right. Your top tier schools, your Ivy League schools, they they now do what's called cost containment programs. And what that is, that is, uh, and certainly everybody, if you're going to go to Harvard or Stanford, they all have high test scores. Uh, you still have to have the score to get in. If you don't, if you have an 1100 SAT, you'll never get into Harvard. Um, so you still have to have a high score to get in. But they have replaced their basically their loans or scholarships with these cost containment programs where it's based on income. So if you're if you you know between forty to sixty five thousand, you know you can get into lobby schools. Uh, you know even even um, Stanford considers one hundred forty thousand dollars low income. Um, but you're right, everybody does have a high score there because they're not about to drop their rankings. But he's right, you've got to maintain your GPA if, to keep your scholarship. And I think so many times kids are breezing through high school and they're barely cracking a book, and they get to college and they don't realize that you know once you get out of class. There could be four or five, six hours of studying per class per day. Even the social life in college shouldn't even begin till 11 o'clock at night because you should be, you know, in the books. So I think you're right. I think a lot of times high schools are not preparing the kids um, for college. And sometimes not everybody should go to college right away, if, if at all. You know, some kids, maybe they need to take off a gap year and maybe work and realize maybe I need to put some time in and actually – you know, uh, to, to make this thing work. Cause there's only about a third of kids who graduate that actually enroll in college. Uh, and, and the, the two main, you know, by the end of the freshman year, 25% have dropped out of college and in the sophomore year, 50% have dropped out. And the two main reasons why students drop out of college is the workload and the finances. And so he's right. If you are not used to a heavy workload, you're not going to be able to cut college. You're not gonna be able to cut it. And if you can't, help, and if you if you get overwhelmed with debt, that's another reason. This is why if students who get a scholarship can eliminate the two main reasons why uh, people drop out of college, and that's because the scholarship would allow them to not have to work while they're in college and be able to take advantage of the college experience and you know study um, and not worry about the debt. Now, the kids who do go out and like you say, LA at party and think, wow, well, i got freedom from my parents, I want to do all this, you know, they're, they already have a heart issue to begin with. And if they drop out, it, 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 you can, it doesn't reflect on the scholarship they earned. It reflects on, you know, them not taking it serious. Uh, could I add a little yeah. bit, one more thing too, please? Yeah. Sure. Another thing also, uh, if you're carrying, say, 15 credit hours, 
17 credit hours. Most colleges don't allow you to go over 17. 19 is a lot. You need, and especially if you're carrying some hard subjects, hard courses, engineers, and so on and so on, you need anywhere from two and a half to three hours worth of study per week per credit hour. So if you're carrying 15, you're talking about 45 hours of study in order to, you know, keep abreast. And those that go to schools like the D1 schools on the athletic scholarships, you very seldom do you see those football players or basketball players taking hard courses, engineering and so on. And the NCAA only allow 25 hours of practice per week. Well, if you take 25 hours of practice, then you need another, say, 51 hours worth of study. That's 76 hours. Then you got to sleep, you got to eat, and you got to transport yourself back and forth to school and also, I mean, in between classes. That's your life. So people should consider that when they're making these choices. Definitely. And, and, then, and you also have to add in there away games, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you're um, you have an athletic scholarship, you're not you're you're not at the school half the time because you're at a, a game that's at another you know another city or another state. So you're, you're you're absolutely right. And I think that one of the things too is you know I I have a lot of parents who call me and their student has some kind of amazing scholarship based on football or baseball or whatever, um, but they don't have the academics or they don't have the test scores to get to take advantage of the scholarship, and they often uh, you know lose out on those. One of the things I tell the kids is when you're taking your SATs, if you're going to be playing Division One or Division Two sports, you need to you have to use the code nine 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 on your test, and that will send your score directly to the NCAA eligibility center um, to get, you know for you to be able to play those D one or D two sports. So you're absolutely right. I think I, I think that I think we're having a problem. You know, getting into college and getting scholarship money is great, but you're right. If you lose your scholarship or you don't take it serious, you know, then then I think that um, that that that's, it's sad, but it does happen, unfortunately. Mm, man, they've really gotten strict since I graduated. Um, well, now, Gene, for the person who today is a poor test taker, because I believe test taking is a skill. And it can, and just like any skill that a person has a, a real desire, I guess that's the operative word, to learn. I mean, your, your suggestions, such as buying your book, taking a course, what can a person do who today is a poor test taker? How can they turn the tables by this time next year? Well, and you know, here's the exciting news, and I've seen such amazing testimonies. Having done this for 14 years and having and having taught tens of thousands of students. You know, I have seen uh, seniors go up 330 points in a week. I've seen kids go up 600 points in five months. I've seen students who are autistic, and they were told they would never write, much less go to college, and those kids become National Merit Scholars. Test-taking, as you say, is a skill. It can be learned. Now, some kids faster than others. There are kids who – these are logic tests, and there are some kids who are very logically minded – so uh, test-taking to them is a lot easier. It's very intuitive to them, and they see the patterns kind of naturally, and just sometimes learning a few more little things can put them over the top. And then you have your other kids who are what I call the rule followers. 
And those are the kids who would consider themselves a bad chess taker because they, they uh, dot their I's and cross their T's. They read the whole entire passage. They want to analyze it. They, they want to interpret it. They want to second guess themselves on everything. And so just like golf or piano or anything else, it's a skill that can be learned. And that's why I always say start early because with schedules and so many things going on, you, it's going to take time. There is no instant success. You cannot shortcut the shortcut. And so you, you, as a bad test taker, if you will learn to critically look at a question and discern and decode and dismantle it, you can learn how they write these questions because they use the same patterns on every test. And so every time you see a test you, and every time you practice and every time you take a test, you gain that test maturity. And so that is why I'm such a big believer, you know, in starting early. I mean, sixth and seventh graders, they tend, eighth graders, they tend to go on to get the highest scores, get the most money, and go to the best colleges. And so um, anybody can do well, anybody, you know, but it's not, it, 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 it's work. I would never tell anybody it's not work. I mean, when, when I got a letter a couple of weeks ago of a guy who said, my, my kid took your class and he took the test in two weeks and didn't, didn't raise the score. Kidding me. Two weeks. You took my class and then you had school, homework, job, friends, and then you took the test and you didn't do, you didn't have enough time to go back over the e-course. You didn't have enough time uh, to do all the practicing, all the homework. I mean, would you expect your student to go into the, into, to the coach, learn a couple of, you know, plays and moves and football. And then in two weeks, would they, your coach would not put that child into the championship. There's no way, you know. So it's the same thing with test taking. It is a skill. It can be learned, and it can, these tests can be beat, and you can ace these tests, but you've got to learn how to take the test. You've got to learn the way they write the questions. Let, let, me, let me dovetail on what you're saying. Uh, add this to what you're saying. I just read a book. Matter of fact, we did a these two podcasts on within the last two weeks. Uh, the book is titled The First 20 Hours. And this the guy who wrote the book, I don't know if you read it, he says that essentially that you can learn basically anything, the fundamentals, within 20, 20, dedicate, 20 dedicated quality hours. Now, you won't be an expert. You won't be a master. But you'll have some basic fundamentals, and then you can start to self-correct. So transferring it to this example that you just gave, uh, maybe this guy's child didn't put in 20 quality hours uh, to learn how to take tests. Oh, absolutely. Of course, there's no way. There's no way he had the time to do it. Right, yeah, because um, you're right. I mean, in two weeks, people, you know, like you said, friends, church, school, and all this other stuff, uh, they didn't put in the hours. The time needed, the quality time needed to to learn something. You know, that is such a good I, – I, I'm going to read that book because I love that because we say that all the time to the kids. We say, look, through our boot camp, and, and by the way, we teach boot camps all across America – so, you know, people host our class. People call us all the time. Just this week, I set up four classes 
you know, all across this nation. People just called me up and said, hey, we heard about you. We want you to come and teach your program in our state. Um, and so we go do all these boot camps, and we tell these kids, look, this class, this boot camp is an introduction. It's the fundamentals. It's the first 20 hours, so to speak. It is, it is we're going to show you an overview of how to beat this test. Now, you're only going to retain a small percentage. There's no way you're going to walk out of here and have mastered this. So now your job is to go home and go back over the e-course, do the follow-up homework, and then become more proficient and internalize the information. And then as you practice the correct way, you will gain that mastery. So there's introduction, there's proficiency, and then there's mastery. You know, you have to have accuracy before speed. And it, it does take time. You don't go learn a couple chords on the piano today, and then next week you're playing Beethoven. It, that's just not real life. Right. As a matter of fact, another book, and you could have read it already, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, where yes. Uh, yes. he says, uh, you know, with the 10,000-hour rule, uh, that he gives examples of Michael Jordan and the Beatles and all, you know, all this type of thing. Uh, right. To get to a world-class or expert level. Now, uh, however, like I said, the book, the first 20 hours, there's some YouTube videos on it, and you can get download the book. It's an easy read on, uh, you know, you can download it on your phone or whatever from Amazon. Right. But, like, I'm learning some basic carpentry right now, hands-on. Now, I have no desire to become a carpenter, but I have a goal on production on, you know, cranking out these little tiny houses. I'm, I'm interested in production of it. But I, in order for me to take unskilled labor to communicate how I want things done, I had to learn some of the fundamentals hands-on. So, so far, right. I'm into, matter of fact, let me look at my, I bought two stopwatches, <laughs> well, not a stopwatch, uh, two times. I'm on two hours and 59 minutes and 42 seconds of my first 20 hours. Okay. Learning that, and I've learned a lot, you know, through uh, a little hands-on and some YouTube videos and speaking with three master carpenters. Like I said, I got two two hours and fifty nine quality hours so far into that. But yeah, I, I highly recommend that. But the first twenty hours, you, I already know. At the end of my first quality twenty hours, I, but I already realistically know I'm not going to be a carpenter, let alone master carpenter expert. <laughs> but I'll know enough, particularly because I'm studying. Uh, it's a particular foundation that fits the production speed I want to go at. So I'm studying that right, right now. And, you know, I've got, I've, you know, I got some stuff here laying in the laying room and I got to lay it out today. But, um, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that you've got, you've got that first 20 hours, and I think that's a guidepost. Uh, and like you said, right. some people will pick it up and, you know, Go at a quicker speed than others in 20 hours, but you know they they like you said it's um, they expect. I mean, you put maybe an hour, and in two weeks that that's you know it, it's, it's yeah. not going to give you the results you can get. Yeah. You need. No, and, and, uh, for no, and, you know, and I've done this long enough to know that. Yeah, for people that want to get in touch with you, order the book, take a boot camp. How can we do? Oh, oh and website. Give us all that information. 
Okay, sure. Thank you. Well, first of all, you know, if one of the things uh, people don't know, they don't, they don't know where to begin, when should my kid take a test. I've got a free roadmap. Uh, your viewers can go to my website, collegeprepgenius.com, collegeprepgenius.com. And if you just go to the website itself, um, a little box will pop up and say, hey, would you like more tips on free college? And if you sign up, we'll send you some really cool information about getting free college. Um, but uh, but if you, then if you go to collegeprepgenius.com slash or forward slash roadmap, you can download my roadmap. It will show you what your kids should be doing every year. And it starts as early as fourth grade. So there's some really cool things that you can do in fourth grade. Um, but it, teaches, it shows you every year if your child is in eighth grade or ninth grade or tenth grade. Um, it's an excerpt from one of my books, um, but it's completely free. If, you, if you're interested in hosting one of my boot camps, um, like I said, we've taught in just about every state, not every state, but most states we've taught in. There's a few I haven't been in, which I'd love to go to, and I also have other teachers as well. Um, contact us. You can send me an email at info, I-N-F-O, at collegeprepgenius.com, uh, you, or you can uh, give us my office a call. Uh, 817-282-7737, um, and that, uh, you, that'll get you, uh, you know, into our office, and you know, we, we ask, answer any questions you might have, um, you know, send emails with questions, um, feel free to do that, but we'd love to come, you know, we, we teach, we've taught all, you know, like I said, all over, we, we teach in public schools, private schools, we also uh, teach for a lot of Title I schools. And, you know, I love, I think, L.A., you and I were talking about this the other day. Um, I love going into these schools and giving these young people hope because we're not this expensive. We don't, you know, um, charge thousands of dollars for my program at all. As a matter of fact, I was called the Sam Walton of test prep by, and you you probably know who Jim Bohannon is, uh, the uh, radio talk show uh, uh, successor to Larry King. He said, said, you are this. Oh yeah, yeah. He said you are the te- you are the Sam Walton of test prep. I've done a couple of his shows, um, but the thing is, is that these kids are so appreciative. You know, a lot of these programs that you this is what I tell you. Be very, very careful of most test prep programs um, because even if they're a name brand, because a lot of them just reteach high school over again. They'll teach your child more math, more vocabulary, more grammar, and that is not what's going to beat this test. This is not a content test. It's logic, and so well, we we don't waste your time. Gene, what about uh, – I, I was speaking of a, to a politician, um, the small town uh, yesterday, matter of fact. What about setting up uh, people that want to set up a, a after-school program based on uh, your teachings? Oh, we do this all the time. A lot of schools will use our program. We, you know, we have, you know, we do have live boot camps. We have teachers that come out and teach, but we also have an e-course. And a lot of schools, we have, I've got a teacher's guide. I've got a student syllabus. I've got uh, it's all laid out and all the work is done. All, all someone would need to do is oversee and facilitate it. They would purchase, you know, the textbook and workbook for the kids, and then they would just show the e-course, show the videos, um, as if it was a, like a live class. And the kids could work, you know, watch it and do, work the problems. And then what I do on the e-course, like we do in a live class, is we go back over every single question and every single answer. 
and we show you why the right was right and why the wrong ones are wrong. That way they can correct their mistakes. So absolutely, many, many schools, many co-ops use our program because we are, we are so inexpensive. And, you know, I, I do that on purpose. You know, L.A., I could, I could charge a lot of money uh, for, my pro, for my program. I could charge hundreds or even thousands of dollars if I wanted to because we have 14 years of testimonials. We, we are ranked in the top 10 best programs by the bestschools.org, which is a, a, a site that gets a million hits a month. Um, we're, we have lot, we've won lots of awards. You know, I've been on lots of TV shows, and I'm a Fox News contributor and all that. So I could charge a lot of money, but we choose not to on purpose because we're not out to gouge families. I mean, if you spent $5,000 on a program and it didn't work, you're going to be out $5,000. If you spend $139 on a program or $295 on a live boot camp and it doesn't work, that's not going to set you back financially in most cases. And a lady last week said they spent $7,000 on a program and their child went up 10 points. I was blown away. I hear that all the time, but I still am shocked by that kind of thing. Um, that's like $700 a point, and that's ridiculous. So um, absolutely, you know, we, we would love to come out there, your viewers. We'd love to go to other countries. If you're in another country and you're listening in, oh, my gosh, contact me. I would love uh, to talk, work with you about coming over there and bringing more kids over here to America. Well, it's interesting to say that, but I've, I've got some contact uh, in uh, Southeast Asia and uh, East Africa. Um, we can talk about that at a later date. But uh, today we're, uh, we're talking to Gene Burke. The, the podcast's title today is What is Your Gift? And we're, we're narrowing it down to test-taking, which can apply to people at any age for various reasons. Let's um, – Let's take another caller here at area code three four six. Uh your mic is open. Uh, good morning, LA. Good morning, I want. Okay. I've been kinda of in and out out of this conversation from the show. I've had a lot of things that have me distracted, but I did catch enough to know this is about test taking and I, I did get the website and I see it's talking about SAT and ACT scores. Do you have this uh course uh, available for L S A T? Well, thank you, sir. That's a good question. So I'm actually going to be working on an LSAT program. My son uh, is a lawyer, and he received uh, just numerous full rides to law school based on his LSAT. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but I will tell. So I am. You can apply the principles absolutely to the LSAT. Uh, but what I w- will tell you is, I was in Virginia this year uh, at one of my conferences, and a young girl walked by my booth, and she came by to thank me. Her SAT score went up several hundred points, and she was a senior now in college. And I was talking with her, and I said, oh, that's great. And she said, you know, she goes, I'm studying for the LSAT. And she goes, I'm answering all these questions, and I don't know why I'm answering. And she goes, then I remembered that these, all those college prep genius strategies start coming back to me. And I was using them on, your L, on the LSAT. So even though it's not a specific LSAT program, uh, you know, and I and I do am going to be working working on one next year for the LSAT. Uh, you can still take the principles uh, because of the and, and and I show an L, an actual LSAT question in one of my seminars on how to be, how to answer the question and beat it and like uh, very quickly. Um, so I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I you know we need good lawyers nowadays. I, I you know it's uh, you know I love the whole theme of what is your gift. 
And I think a lot of people who want to be that teacher or they want to be an engineer, they want to be um, that doctor or lawyer, they they also know that college, you know, college is so expensive and they don't want to be strapped with college debt. And that's why I love helping people get scholarship money so that you can pursue your gift uh, as a lawyer or doctor or a teacher or, or whatever. Well, I, I asked that question. I do have a uh, master's in the sciences of law, which is Great. a very rare and unique degree. There's only two universities in the United States that carry that degree. But uh, even with the knowledge in law that I already have, uh, pretty much no state bar is going to allow me to practice with that. So um, this is my year, 2000, between now and 2019 is my year to take the LSAT and go, on, go back and do the three years of the Juris Doctorate. So if there's any program or anything that you can have to help implement me to um, get a higher test score on the LSAT, I would be interested. Okay. Send me... Um, if you'll send me an email, um, and I will get you as soon as I can, I'm, I'm, I'm swamped this whole day, I will send you some really cool information. Like I say, I'm going to be working on an LSAT program. My son, you know, I'm going to have my son help me because, like I said, he's, um, you know, he, he graduated from UVA. Uh, as you know, mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, that's the number six law school and the number one public law school. Um, so, okay. it, you know, with, with that degree opened up, you know, numerous jobs i mean he pretty much just having gone to uva they were i mean he he got fact, he, he uh, the late a, robert uh the late attorney general robert kennedy uh and some of his children and relatives graduated to the uva law grads oh listen listen that's where all the kennedys went and it's it's such yep, a prestigious exactly. school that my son his friends who are lawyers I think when they graduated, now my son didn't go to law school right after college. He actually worked in marketing for about a year. Then he went to L.A., moved actually to California and was an actor for a few years and then decided to go to law school. But what was interesting is some of his friends from from undergrad uh, went to law school right out of college, and they went to something like Fayetteville Law School, you know, some very, like, not well-known law school. And they started out maybe 60,000, 70,000 a year. And I think my son, just by having a UVA name, you know, was a, over two, 250, 250,000 start off. And so there is, there is a difference when it comes to when you're talking law school. There really is a huge difference uh, of, you know, where you graduate. Yes, that's true. Uh, pretty much determine now, the opportunity. Uh, homeschooling. Thank you. Homes. Uh, Warren, you had another question. No, no, no. Go ahead. Okay, uh, Gene. You know uh, quite a bit about homeschooling. Matter of fact, I'm sure you've gotten in over ten thousand hours of being a homeschool <laughs> instructor. Uh, because in, in homeschooling applies to anybody at any age. Uh, give us uh, for people that. Uh, that maybe don't have the funds to go to school, uh, me at whatever level of school. Your suggestions on how to homeschool? Well, boy, that's a whole other segment we got to do, L.A., right? Uh, you know, homeschooling is growing so fast right now because I think people – um, are just fed up with what's going on in school. I mean, the the agenda that's being pushed on a lot of families, 
you know, uh, and not even telling them what they're doing. I think people are just blown away. And so uh, people are pulling their kids out left and right. There, there are a, so many ways that um, as a homeschooling parent that you can homeschool, even if you don't feel like you're adequate. Because, uh, I mean, you know your kids better than anybody. I mean, there's a lot of online programs that are completely free. So if you don't feel like I could sit down and teach my kid how to read or write or go through a certain math, I can only get up to maybe algebra and I don't know anymore. Um, there are so many resources, and, and many of them are completely free. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a homeschool uh, conference speaker. So I'm a feature speaker, keynote speaker at a lot of conferences. And so I do get to um, share a lot of information. Um, but there's these, there's conferences, there's, there's all kinds of um, just resources out there on how to get started. And that, we could do a whole program on that. But I think here's, I think, the biggest thing is if someone out there is thinking about homeschooling, do it. It, 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 it can be so life-changing in the sense that, number one, when you pull your kids out of a school system, be it public or private school, um, you as a parent have complete autonomy over your child. In other words, you've eliminated the peer pressure 100%. And it gives your child that freedom to be a self-thinker. They're not like a robot so much, maybe being told what to think, but they, they learn to think for themselves and become very self-directed. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, don't feel like you're inadequate because, you know, so many, so many states like here in Texas, especially um, there's co-ops and there's support groups, um, other parents that come right alongside you and um, can help you. But then, you know, people homeschool for different reasons. Um, you know, sometimes it's religious reasons. Sometimes it's um, their kids are just very smart and they're just being stifled in school because they're held back because they have to stay along with everybody else. And really they're two grades ahead. Um, some people, you know, kids have different special needs and they homeschool. Um, so whatever your reason, it doesn't matter. The, the point of the matter is it's individualized. I mean, you're, you know, I remember my daughter, my son was, did really well at a Becca spelling. I mean, he kind of had that, he looked at the spelling list and gosh, he could memorize it and he had it down and it was so easy for him. My daughter, I tried using a Becca spelling with her and she just struggled and struggled and struggled because she's more of a kinesthetic learner. He was more of a visual learner and she was opposite. Wasn't that when she was dumb, it's just that that curriculum didn't work for her. And we found something that did work. But so I think what happens in school is you've got one curriculum that is supposed to work for all 30, 40 kids in the classroom. And let's say it's more of a visual learning and you've got a student who learns uh, as an audio learner, they're going to be labeled as stupid and put, in, and put in the dumb class. When in reality, it's not that they're stupid at all. It's just that they just needed a completely different curriculum to learn the same information. So you can tailor to your kids. There's all kinds of tests you can have your kids done to where you can find out what, how they learn best. Uh, and your kids can literally thrive because once they get it, they don't feel stupid. They feel like, wow, I know what I'm doing. Um, and so, yes, the good news is nowadays homeschooling is accepted, of course, in every state. It's legal in every state. Um, and there's so many resources um, to look to. So we definitely should do a whole program well, just on homeschooling. Yeah, you know, what I like about else? Uh, yes, sure, Bianca. Yeah, I was yeah. going to tell her, I'm a, pro, I'm a very, very, very strong proponent of school choice for just the reason you just given. And I want the voucher, the money to follow the child in whatever environment that the parent feels best for that child and their long-term educational goals. And I just want to ask you this thing, uh, ma'am. 
do you isn't it just a shame how kids are being treated in these school settings? It's just totally shameful the way they are having to uh, go for these generic methods of learning, which, as you just described, does not apply to them whatsoever, and it's just destroying lives. Absolutely. You, you've got one curriculum that you've got to get across to all these kids. You've got a 55-minute class period, and you might get 18 or 19 actual minutes of teaching. The other time is spent on uh, paperwork, uh, changing, uh, you know, asking questions, taking a role. Um, and, and then they still come home with two or three hours of homework because they couldn't get it all in the classroom. And, and, it, and, and you're right. It, and it's whatever the school is limited to is whatever they're teaching. And it may be something that you're very much against. And, and you're right. There are the, some of the states, I don't know what state you're in, but there are states like California, Oregon, Alaska, Idaho, that have sort of what you call the voucher system. Um, uh, it's where they give the families money to actually put toward their child's education, wherever they want to put it. And so, um, I'm with you. I think that would you know, help sometimes strengthen, you know, a system. If everybody goes to one school, then that tells the other school, hey, this is a bad school. You know, what are we doing? But, you know, you've got your uh, – the, the agenda that's often pushed on families, you know, is something that may not line up with your values. And, you know, a lot of the transgender type stuff, this is just to say that maybe your family doesn't necessarily want boys in your girl's bathroom, which I completely agree with. I mean – I feel like that, you know, that, that someone's privacy has been invaded. Um, I think, you know, there could be completely separate bathrooms, which is totally fine with me. But it, young girls should not feel uncomfortable because, you know, schools are allowing boys to go into their bathroom. That is not what we want, you know, our kids. We want our kids to feel safe inside there. And that's just one thing that, that's going on. There's many, many more, again, that your family may not believe in, and it should not, they should not have to be pushed, pushed into that because their tax dollars are paying for that school. So if they say, I want to go to this school over here because they don't do that, they should be able to do that. So I, I, I completely agree. And, and I should be able to have my child, if my child learns one way, I should be able to put them in a classroom that's very, a very kinesthetic classroom. So if I was going to build a school, a perfect school, I literally would test every child in the beginning to see what is their learning style, and then I would put them in the classroom accordingly so they could thrive. You know, there's a a book by a guy named Robert Kiyosaki titled Rich Kid, Smart Kid, which Gene touches on some of the things you just said. And as far as public schools go, the reason why I don't like public schools is because it's education with politics. And when you you mix politics and education, it dilutes the edu- in my opinion the educational product. And a lot of it's like, for instance, if you want to learn, because there's a gazillion people who've taken four years of Spanish or French or whatever in high school, and they they and they they can't even carry a sentence, much less a convers a light conversation after three or four years of that in school. I believe in applied learning. If we're going to learn Spanish, we're going to get up, get up in a road trip, head to Mexico or Spain or someplace where we're going to learn Spanish by actually up living it. It seems like the homeschool method would be a, 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 a easier way to, to uh, learn. And like you mentioned, Gene, people have to recognize everybody learns in a different way. So 
in, in, in a public, even a lot of private schools. It's just one size fits all. Mm-hmm. And we're not all the same. You know, this exactly. is we're, we're different cookies. You just can't take one cookie cutter. Um, and a person, if they're put in the right environment, their, their genius will come out. Their gift will come out. Um, let's see. We have a caller here. 619 area code. Your mic is open. Hello? Yes, your mic is open. Yes, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. we can hear you. Oh, excellent. Um, I'm really responding to the topic today. Um, I've been a listener of your show for some time now, and I really I want to thank you for what you do and, and thank you for talking about this type of thing because, you know, I listen to a lot of shows on Block Talk, and quite frankly, they they it's a lot of talk and it's no real substance, and I, I think you cover both, and I really appreciate that. Okay. I also wanted Any... to comment. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. You want to comment on what? Well, I also want to say, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, you had a lot of, I don't know if it was legitimate people or trolls or whatever, but they were sort of talking about like injuries and stuff that were happening on a job site. And I just, I want to say to people that, you know, when you work in construction or you're working on a home, that that type of thing really is is no lasting matter. Um, My husband was a carpenter for many years and he's actually paralyzed from the neck down after a, a, a workplace related oops oh, on it. I lost that call 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 back if you still listen uh, anyway um, Gene how could a person uh, well let's say a person's already on and on they want to learn on and on how could they set up their own homeschooling program for themselves? Well, the way my program is designed, the e-course is designed for 12 weeks. Um, It's designed, it's very self-directed, very mom-friendly, and it has a complete homework guide where you basically are spending about an hour a day for, you know, for about 12 weeks, uh, which is going to, like you say, it's going to, you know, give you that, uh, that 20 hours or actually more, because if you're thinking five times 12, um, that's 72 hours that they're going to be going through and learning how to beat the test. And, and then, there, you know, there's, there's homework, there's reinforcing information. Um, it, it, you can do that. You, now, this is not just for homeschoolers, but a lot of homeschoolers will use that program for, on their transcript as a, an elective. Uh, now, if your kids are in public or private school, it's something they can do after school or on the weekends, uh, but it can be incorporated. So it's very self-directed. And uh, it's going to teach you how to answer the questions in 30 seconds or less, why the right answers are right, why the wrong ones are wrong, so that students can really internalize this information. So it's very adaptable for whatever your, you know, your audience's, their situation is. And then, if, you know, if they come to one of our boot camps or they host one of our boot camps, then each family um, would get the e-course as well. It's a one-year subscription that they can have. Uh, to go back over it numerous times to really, you know, get this stuff down and let it become second nature. Okay. All right. Uh, and once again, how can we get a hold of you for your book um, and other services that you might offer? Uh, my website, collegeprepgenius.com. 
Uh, if you go on there, you'll, you, you can sign up for more free tips on uh, free college. Um, you can email us, info at collegeprepgenius.com. Uh, you can call our office, 817-282-7737. Uh, if you want to get that free roadmap, which is going to give you some guidelines on what your kids should be doing every year, uh, don't, don't listen to the schools. They don't know what they're talking about in many, many cases. Uh, they're they're going to steer your child wrong because they don't understand how important these tests are and, uh, and, and, and when you should start. So you can go download the roadmap at collegeprepgenius.com forward slash roadmap. Uh, so, yeah, we'd love if you have any additional questions, do, do email us. We, we love to answer questions. We love to change lives. We love that your decision for college should be um, the institution and not the finances. Okay, and don't people don't forget now to, to put twenty quality hours into this. It is it, not is don't don't do something for two hours and expect it to work. Um, you need to put twenty quality hours into it. Uh, all right, well, Gene, thank you for coming on, and uh, well, I'll be in touch with you before the end of the week uh, because, well, like I say, it. it uh, this uh, particular politician in a small town, um, they want to have some type of school, but I figure after-school program will probably oh, be the easiest thing to do. Yeah, to, uh, let's, let's, yeah. get me in touch with them. I'd love, love to help them. Okay. All right, on that note, everyone have a good rest of the day. Okay.